Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Facebook. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns to face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community and communities create social change. I'm David Peck and this is Face to Face. Our interview this week is with a friend of mine, a young guy by the name of Justin Rahim. He's got a company called Black Label Urban Design. That's B-L-K label dot C-A. He's a pretty interesting guy. I think you're going to really enjoy this interview. We talk about Lego and about visual pleasure and about how you might experience space and what does it mean to kind of learn and explore within the environment of a designer. And, and, and Justin talks about a whole lot of things. We apply it to our day-to-day lives. We apply it to relationships. We apply it to philosophy. It's, it's, it's a great uh, interview. I think you're going to enjoy it a great deal. Check it out. We'll see you shortly. Well, welcome to Face to Face, and we have a very special guest with us today. Somebody, I, I, Actually, I don't think I've had a guest like uh, Justin before, uh, so why don't we introduce Justin? Uh, th- thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Justin Rahim, he's got a company called Black Label Urban Design. 
blklabel.ca. He's um he's a lot of things actually. He's a horticultural technician, which I don't even know what that means. So we're going to find out a little bit about that. Landscape designer. He's working on a furniture line. Apparently, he's designed jeans for the Gap. He has a partial architectural uh, degree, uh, which we might or might not talk about. We're not sure <laughs> at this point. But I think the key is that he is a professional designer uh, living in living in Toronto uh, and a new company that's launching in the very near future, Black Label Urban Design. So Justin, A, thanks for uh, coming today. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this for a whole, from a whole lot of levels. So I did. I, I was a construction worker for 18 years. Uh, worked mm-hmm. in the field. Uh, worked in the office. Started, you know, blueprint drawings. So you know, did a little bit of that architecture as a as a student in in high school. So I've always had kind of an interest in, you know, what goes on in the building of a building. But I think there's mm-hmm. also a, a really, you know, and my listeners will know I've studied philosophy, and so there's a real interesting philosophical angle to all of this as well. And I hope we can Absolutely. talk about this idea of space and so on. I've un- I understand you used to play with a lot of Lego. Absolutely. So tell, yeah, tell 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 me a bit about that. And and I, and pretty sophisticated uh, designs, pretty uh, sophisticated building like cities. I know? did. I yeah. I had some fun with Lego. Absolutely. Um, so, so tell me about that. Lego is uh, I think an amazing media because it's just so neutral and so flexible. Uh, it's really the simplest possible uh, material to create just about anything you want. Um, if you take a quick search online, you can see just about anything from sculpture uh, to a full-size structure can be built out of Lego. Um, and what that allowed me to do is really explore form. So much the way uh, a sculptor would use clay, um, I explored architectural form with Lego. Uh, and it really allowed me to really see what the potential was uh, with a structure uh, and a dwelling could really be. Were you were you more of a uh, the Star Wars model kind of guy, or you know, or were you hey, just give me a box of pieces and I want to build? I wanted the most neutral, plainest pieces possible. Um, so I used to really enjoy uh, building houses, um, and and basically to build a house, um, I found that the typical pieces you might find the doors, the windows, and whatnot were just too restricting. So I would really <laughs> just want plain bricks. Uh, with little or no personality, so I could basically custom tailor whatever I wanted. So do you think, you know, it's funny, I mean, I grew up with Lego and certainly nowhere near as sophisticated <laughs> of a builder as you were, but I watch my kids play with it, and most of it is, is by set today, it seems. Correct. And from time to time, they will get out just pieces and kind of design a new spaceship or a new building or a car or something like that, which is always fun. But it's mostly the Star Wars models, the Friends Lego for for young girls. There's very divisive, yes. Yes. even gender sort of specific <laughs> kind of Lego, Absolutely. right? Yeah. Which is a bit troubling on some level, but I, I get it on another. Right. Do you know you're a young designer? Does it bother you at all? Do you, do, do you um, see that as a, a liability, <laughs> a creative liability, or um, is that a creative opportunity? I think it, it's all in the eye of the beholder. Uh, as someone who acquired as much Lego as I did as a child, um, you know, there was definitely a whole bunch of sets in there. Uh, and the interesting opportunity that comes with those sets is that you get unique pieces that you can then incorporate into your design. So it teaches you to take something that you're given and work it into something that you want to create. So it's it's interesting comment. So I was with, um, uh, Victoria the other day, we were building a piece from, from a friend's set Mm -hmm. 
and it has very distinctive colors, right. like uh, really cool yellows and blues and so on. And I said, and the comment was, oh, sweetie, you know, no other uh, Lego sets have these colors. Well, you know, imagine what you could build with those, mm -hmm. right? So we'll see. I mean, I have no idea. She definitely seems to have a little bit more of a creative edge when it comes to things like that. But, right. Uh, so did you, did you, I mean, did you know you were going to be an architect or is that, uh, you know, uh, is that something that you think just kind of developed? You had a real interest in space and buildings and so on? I, I've always had an affinity for design, space, orientation. Um, you know, as, you know, an eight and nine-year-old boy, I was, you know, rearranging my bedroom. I was trying to figure out how do you make space work at its, you know, utmost efficiency and, and utmost um, visual pleasure. Um and uh, I, I always knew I would end up in design. I think that if you ask anyone who knew me, anyone who met me, there was no doubt I would be doing something in design. I enjoyed every facet of it. Um, I think as my career developed, I found myself moving sort of further away from architecture and much more to how you experience space and much more uh, the, the elements that pull a space together from much more human perspective. Um, and that's and that's really I basically just followed uh, my heart and soul and and whatever wherever it took me. So it wasn't really necessarily a, a um, I mean it's all, I mean I suppose everything's a cause and effect kind mm -hmm. of a thing, but there wasn't really which is kind of ironic a design there. It just kind of unfolded for you. Would you say kind uh, of gee I, I, I like you said it I have an affinity for design which is right. really would be great a tagline for a company we have, <laughs> we, we have an affinity for design but. Um, and then you sort of, you found yourself within it. Exactly. Uh, I, I, I honestly can't recall a single point in my life where design was not a part or, hmm. or a very conscious thought process with me. Uh, and my parents really fostered that in any way they could. So, um, you know, they definitely encouraged my Lego habit well, far longer than it should have gone. And, yeah. uh, you know, encouraged me to draw, encouraged me to, um, you know, play around. I rearranged my bedroom in ways that you know no no parent would have approved of but they let me do it just so that I can learn and explore and and gain something from the experience do you think that your parents are in the poor house today because of your lego habit <laughs> uh that you'd have to ask them about because <laughs> <laughs> i know how bloody expensive lego it is, is very expensive it, but you know what it's so funny like even as a kid i i remember how cool lego was yeah. it just everything fit it did it was just perfect and there's been a couple of things that have come along since that have tried to kind of replicate lego it, it just doesn't get it no. right no. there is no other lego right absolutely yeah absolutely yeah. yeah um it's like i said it's it's the simplest most uh organic tool mm. to build anything great you want. Toy. and uh i i think there's you learn how structure works you learn how gravity works uh, you even learn how to put color together, and um... so why did why didn't you become a construction worker? I mean, why didn't you become a, you know? A, I mean, you were going to become an architect by the sounds of it, or mm -hmm. at least academically, you're going to get a degree in that. But uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting to me. You know, you're you're actually with the pieces because now you're more of a you're more theory for sure, way, right? For sure. Well, you're both, I suppose, because you're on site, your boots on the ground, as yeah. it were, yeah. working with the clients and so on and designing their spaces. But a lot of it's got to be happening in your head and heart, I would imagine. For sure. Um, 
I I, de I definitely like to get my hands dirty and, and get into the pro process for sure. Um, but I found my I found very often, you know, if you were on the construction side of things, you weren't really creating um, right. from that theoretical perspective. You were you're building somebody else. You're building creation. from instructions. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, even when I put furniture together, I seldom use the instructions. I, you know, I have a pretty good intuition as to how things go together and how they should fit together. Um, and uh, I guess th that's why construction was never really uh, an end game for me. So are you a problem solver or are you an artist? I would see myself more, that's tough, that's tough. I think I, I, I solve problems with art. Mm -hmm. um, so it's almost nice. a hybrid of both. Um, you know, typically when I walk into a space with a client for the first time, um, there's sort of two things that happen. Uh, almost instantly, I see the problems at hand uh, and I walk in and I see the completed space. So basically my goal from the second of walking into a space is guiding the client and getting them from where they are now to the space that I've walked in and seen almost instantly. Um, and, and, you know, a space for me has to be interesting. It has to be creative. It has to be unique. Uh, I'm not one to sort of run to a big box store and say, this is done, this is done, this is done. Let's all throw it in the space and call it a day. I, I like custom tailoring. I like um, curating and I like using um, the client's own personal style um, and ex expressing that in a way that's pleasing uh, to everyone. Do you, I mean, do you look for sort of uh, telltale signs? You know, if the, the guy drives a, uh, or the client, I should say, drives a particular kind of car or dresses in a particular kind of way, are these, are these uh, you know, in the gambling world, you would call them tells? Right. Do they sort of tell you anything? Do they set you up to say, okay, I, I got a sense for the colors I'm going to be using? Or, or, or is that something that kind of unfolds over time? Sometimes, um, it very often depends on the client. You know, some clients have a very defined sense of what their style is, and some some clients need a little bit of guidance or need even a push to go for something a little bit more adventurous. Um, I like color. I have no. I'm not afraid to use color. But most people, if you were to ask them, you know, would you paint a wall in your house bright red? They would say absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Would never happen. It's too loud. It's or... too loud. It's too. Um, and, you know, I think if you're going to try to push the envelope a little bit, or if you want a space that's inspiring, you have to sort of go to a slightly further level or, or, or push yourself beyond your standard comfort zone. Um, so with, you know, with a lot of clients, you know, they, they dress for work. They dress for right. whatever is expected uh, of them wherever they're going. Yeah. Um, but a lot of you know other clients will have very clear dictations. Sometimes right. I'll walk into a client's house; they'll have a guest bedroom that happens to have you know a blue, bright blue throw in it or something like that. That's very often a telltale sign because they bought this blanket because they liked it. Right. It's not a room that they live in all the time, um, and that can very often say, well, they like color. Maybe they just don't know how to use it. And that's where I step in and say, okay, how can I take this as a jumping-off point uh, to? Expresses so you know, I've I've joked with. I mean, I hear that Einstein ha always wore the same clothes, mm -hmm. or, or you know. And I listen. I'm not saying I'm an Einstein, but there's value in that to mm -hmm. me. Yeah. You know, fine. Like I, I I've always. So here's an interesting. So I've I'm always looking for the perfect shirt. Okay. Don't want to iron it. Don't want it to wrinkle. Mm -hmm. Got to feel nice, and it's got to you know look nice. So that's actually tough. You would think yeah. that would be pretty easy in this day and age of For synthetic sure. fabric. Well, I think I finally found one. Okay. And, uh, but it's, it, okay, well, why don't I just buy 20 of those mm -hmm. and never have to wear, worry about wearing a shirt again? So 
I, I would say I don't really have a style. And okay. Yet I, I guess I do. So I guess I'm not even sure what question I'm asking, but, 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 you know, am I limiting myself? I suppose maybe is the question. I see. I see it as a utility. Right. You know, I got to wear something. I, I want to be warm. But you know what? In truth, I also want to look nice. Right. Whatever that means. Whatever that means. Because my idea of nice and yours are probably going to be different in color and so on. I would never paint a room red, probably. Okay. But I might. You know, I don't know, right? So, uh, yeah. Anyway, this this whole idea of style is pretty interesting. And then and then you've got this idea that that style is 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 well, you got your seventies and you got your eighties. You know, when you yeah. see a seventies film, you really go, wow, did people really wear that yeah. then? Were there, did they wear their hair like that? Like, <laughs> I think uh, style to me is rooted in design. So um, I don't like to look at trends or to look at um, what is or isn't happening because that's such mm. a such a fast paced way to one date yourself. Because if you look at what was trendy three years ago, it already looks dated today. Um, for me, style is a personal expression, um, and for me, what is in style or what looks good is all about how it's curated hmm. there's some um, what do you mean, what do you mean by that all how it's curated um i think you there's there's beauty in every era you you can't go back to any particular time frame 70s 80s and whatnot and not find one object or one piece or one hemline or whatnot that is not absolutely stunning because everything was designed with some sort of purpose with some sort of intention with some sort of aesthetic value to it um, you know, something that I think has come back in a lot of ways from the seventies, which, you know, a lot of people have been hating on for a while is that sort of boiled wool, tweedy textile. Um, and here you are seeing that sort of professor look, the very, very, um, understated, um, sort of nubbly textile, um, is very much hot and it's very much back. Um, but a lot of people look back at 70s pictures and, and see that same text on sale. Ooh, yeah. I can't believe anyone ever wore that. Right. Um, so design transcends time. Good design transcends time. Authentic design transcends time. Um, and I think um, that's the important thing. So is there, so, so uh, you know, okay, let's, you know, let's talk about design with respect to architecture. So okay. we've got clothes, we've got colors, we've mm -hmm. got interior stuff going on. I'm sure there's all kinds of... Uh, uh, launching points there but is there a is there an ethic behind design is there a, is there a you know is there an ethic behind architecture so i'm thinking of the most i just saw an image of it a couple mm -hmm. nights ago the human rights museum in okay. winnipeg how about old churches you absolutely know, from five six hundred thousand i remember sitting in a, a wedding in, in switzerland and i'm in a 700 year old church mm -hmm. and you go into a church today and it looks like uh xerox right Right? there's just there's no iconography there's yeah. you know there's none it depends i guess if you go into an old classical catholic church you're going to see lots of icons and sculpture right. and tile and wonderful woods and things but the modern day church is just a box right even the even corporately right right and so yeah and then you've got these postmodern gas chambers mm -hmm. right that you know inhibit most cities around the world most um yeah so so can you comment about that at all? I mean, how does, you know, is that changing the way I see the world by walking into a building that's, I don't know, warm, um, that welcomes me in, that that's, reminds me of home? There, you know? There's 100% a correlation. Um, I think if you look at um, 
you know, some of the spaces that you feel very often feel most comfortable in or, or most inspired by, um, they have some sort of architectural or interior design element that really, really resonates with you. Um, and, and I think if you really take it back uh, to a much smaller scale, um, the places that you feel at home in. Now, maybe not necessarily the most beautiful to everyone. Everyone's home is different, but there are certain elements of that space. I mean, I think everyone who moves into their their uh, projected home will paint a wall. They'll have a throw. They'll pick a color for their couch. And, and these design selections, these design choices are what make you feel comfortable and inspired in your own space. Um, and then you take that to the larger scale with, uh, say the Human Rights Museum or, or anything that is um, indicative of a much bigger cause, uh, that's exactly what they're trying to evoke. Um, they want you to feel inspired. They want these exhibits to shine. Um, and you walk into a space like that, there's no way you can't. Well, I mean, even even the use of, of natural light, for instance. Absolutely. Right? So, you know, don't you feel better in a house that has windows? Absolutely. You've got lots of sun. You're in a corner office mm -hmm. versus a cubicle inside. Absolutely. I, I'll never forget uh, visiting a fairly large-scale NGO in, in, in the west end of Toronto. Came off the third floor elevator, and my heart just sank because I had worked at the Royal Bank in Toronto that mm -hmm. was basically a cubicle central. Uh, and I walk out, and it was just this sea of cubicles, and I couldn't yeah. see one human being except the guy that I was with. Yeah. And it, I didn't say that at the time, but my heart sank. Like I actually had this, wow, I never want to work in this environment again. Right. This can't be good. It can't be. Absolutely not. Um, and, and I think more and more offices are trying to move away from the cubicle model. Uh, we're definitely seeing it in a lot of the contemporary offices where um, it's a lot more open plan. Uh, so we're, we're, we're taking down the walls. We're being more um, team oriented. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and sort of bringing everyone to the natural light because, you know, I think it's, it goes without saying, if you're inspired by your workspace, you'll work well. If you feel fresh and energetic and, and, and alive, you're going to want to do more ambitious things. You're going to want to feel more, um, alive in your office space. So I think, um, we should be moving away from that and, and I'm seeing it in the office spaces that we're doing now for sure. So what, what, what sickens you from a design perspective <laughs> when you, when you walk into a place and, 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 and how do you not give that air off? Like you walk into an office or you walk into somebody's home and you go, that, wow. That's a funny question. Um, I, I, I am one of those people who doesn't get invited to people's homes very often because everyone is always afraid of what I'm going to say yeah, or think. Yeah. Uh, you, you've got your iPhone out taking pictures around the world. It's going to appear on your blog yeah, next yeah. week. Yeah. What um, not to do. What not to do. Um, I don't discriminate. And that's, and that's, mm. the, that's the reality of, of being in a career that is you know, very subjective. Um, mm. you know, what someone calls home may not be what I call home, yeah, sure. um, but, um, I, you know, everyone makes an effort in their own way to make their home, uh, as beautiful as they can. Uh, if I walk into a space, you know, things that I'm trying to think what's the most common, uh, thing that I see. I, uh, I think very often people look at magazines and websites, you know, Pinterest is notorious for this, um, where they, people post about a billion pictures of things they like. Um, the thing about what makes 
say a light fixture or a table or a design feature look good in a space is that it's specific to that space. It's been custom tailored and referenced in other ways. Uh, and I think the one thing that drives me most crazy is when you walk into someone's house and you see uh, a collection of things that don't belong together, but you know mm. would look nice in their respective spaces. So someone who might have like a vintage slab table, uh, you know, in a very traditional home, it looks out of place. It looks so. Dirty. Is that is that like a is that a distinction between sort of juxtaposition or contrast or something? Is that for what you're sure? About? For sure. Um, a lot of it's just it's ridiculous the amount of metaphors here. For absolutely. Living life for building relationships for 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 networking. Absolutely. You know, for for starting entrepreneurial spirit. You know, there's just so many connecting points here. For sure. For sure. Um, I think. Uh, the biggest mistake people will make in their home is they'll put too many different styles. I, what I, you know, there's this really hot topic of eclectic right now, uh, where people get to sort of put a, a curation of styles. I think what a lot of people take eclectic when they think eclectic, they end up saying, well, I can just put anything I want in the space. And what you end up with is a hodgepodge or a storage locker of furniture that doesn't mm -hmm. belong together. Mm -hmm. um, what people should aim to do is, um, you know, everything in moderation, the way you would do anything else in your life. Um, you stick to two styles, uh, pull it together, keep your colors consistent. You'll have a beautiful home. It's, it's, it's not a difficult task. I think it's just a matter of, as opposed to looking at each individual piece of furniture, look at the whole space and think about how it would look together. So do you, so let's go a little philosophical for a second. Michel Foucault wrote a book called Discipline and Punish. He was all about ideology. He was all about structure and foundation mm -hmm. and, you know, the whole notion of keeping the common man down. Okay. And, and uh, what, what, what do our surroundings, what do our frameworks communicate? So as a teacher, I walk into mm -hmm. a, a, a classroom. I'm up at the front. There's tiered seating. I'm the expert. Right. Whether I want to be or not, right? Just because the way the room is set up, the right. way it's positioned, everyone's staring at me. They put up their hands. It's the part of the pedagogy. What is this communicating to those individuals? Their points don't matter. They've got questions. They don't know mm -hmm. as much as I do, etc. That's a problem for me. That's a wall that I try to break down a variety of different ways. Right. In the same way, Foucault says, you know, prisons, for instance, hospitals, schools, they mm -hmm. all have this medicinal, concrete kind of bar-like edge that mm -hmm. basically squeezes out our humanity on some right. level. So I guess the question is, do you think, you know, having a warm space, having the right throw, yeah. you know, not having this, what did you call it, a, a, a storage locker of furniture, yeah. is that going to enable me to, to, to develop better relationships? Am I, I going to be able to love my kids more? <laughs> like, honestly, I mean, this is a genuine question. You know, so where I grow up, where I'm raised is going to have an impact on who I'm ultimately going to be, I guess, is, is, is the point. I think, I think uh, a passion for the home is a much larger picture than the way your house looks. Mm. Um, you know, I can only speak from experience. Um, uh, my, my parents made a very clear and conscious effort to make the home a beautiful place. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that becomes a process that is exposed in a variety of different ways. Um, you know, the, the beautiful home is also comfortable. Uh, it also, it's, it's something that you remember, it's something that you have uh, a very vivid experience in. Um, I think it also makes for a much more enjoyable place for every level 
uh, on, in the family. So um, something they prioritized was, was allocating space that is kids, allocating space that is adults. Um, I understand that this is sort of you know implementing that hierarchy, but it's also implementing um, a positive space for both parties. You know, I think ideally you need separate space for the kids and the parents or else both go crazy. If you live in two close quarters altogether, um, people start to sort of lose it. Um, so ju just to that point, I think that um, a beautiful home, uh, a well thought out home will inspire uh, better living. And it's just, it's more or less well, it e from a practical standpoint. It makes sense, yeah. right? I mean, it's kind of a trivial truth in a way. Absolutely. I mean, if you live in a cluttered storage locker, Absolutely. aren't you always going to be in a state of being pissed off? Absolutely. Frankly? For sure. I mean, I guess, see, one of the things I've noticed, this is an interesting comment, too. Okay. I love love this stuff. Okay. So, so uh, you know, uh, my wife Elizabeth recently got some fabric for a uh, bench that okay. I've been used to. That's okay. green, it's got stripes, and it's fine, and why would we change it, Right. right comes home and it's got this I don't know she's gonna laugh if she hears this but paisley lake flower design. okay I don't like it okay and maybe because I'm not used to it okay I'm, I'm absolutely okay. I'm okay with that but you know what it's been sitting there now not put into place been sitting there I'm I'm used to it now now I've noticed it a couple times in the last few weeks yep give me another week or two it will become a part of my environment absolutely I will no longer care absolutely now maybe that's because I don't put a lot of value in these things. There could be a lot of different reasons for it, but I think philosophically, phenomenologically, mm -hmm. it's really interesting because it becomes a part of my environment. So I maybe I could live in a house, a storage locker full of uh, furniture, but I think that it's still going to have an impact for sure know, on on how I behave, how I interact with others. I mean, you know, that whole cubicleism. Mm -hmm. I think we just coined a new word, but you know, if if open spaces allow you to work better then it seems to me that's going to transfer to, to how you live at home right absolutely i think the bench is a great example of um how change can actually have a positive effect mm. so uh and you know in your case there's two parties involved and this is actually a great uh a great example of how great compromise can be um the bench functionally is yeah something i guess that design works. is is kind of an exercise of compromise, it's absolutely it? absolutely yeah. especially when more than one party is involved right um you so one party felt that the, you know the bench visually wasn't doing enough for her it wasn't it just wasn't where it needed to be uh and the other party felt that the bench was fine it was fine it works it's um it's, it's serving the purpose uh i always have a rule with clients when we try something that's a little past their comfort zone i always tell them live with it for two weeks get it into your psyche get it get used to it so that you're not staring at this bold piece or this 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 right. object that is pushing you out of your comfort zone. After a while, you start to realize it really is just a bench, and it is you know maybe not your first choice in fabric color, but it brings life in another way, or right. it brings life uh, for another party in the household. I think I think that's a beautiful thing because you know now Elizabeth is probably much happier with the bench. Um, it's still serving the function you have, and it's growing on you. Um, and I think that's just a great exercise in how making a small design change can actually benefit the whole household. I remember, you know, I remember as a, uh, as a magician when I used to perform on stage and mm -hmm. I would, I would, I would see another performer who would use a handkerchief, let's say a big 24 inch square silk handkerchief right. that he or she didn't iron before they went out on stage. Right. Wow. You go, holy cow, buddy. Yeah. You couldn't have ironed that. Like, mm -hmm. wow. Absolutely. What a low end act. Right. <laughs> 
But the guy who irons it, I don't go, wow, look at that. Look at the attention to detail. Yes. So it's like I notice the, okay, well, I was going to try to be clever. I noticed the noticeable. But right. I notice the, the, the wrinkles, but I don't notice it when it works. So in other right. words, you know, I was going to say I walk into a space and I go, wow, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. But you don't go, it's awesome because of all these things. You know, Justin did this and he right. chose that color and he did this. It works. It works. It intuitively works. It it speaks to me or something. It feels else. natural. It feels natural. Um, and and I always thought that was kind of an interesting distinction that I notice when it's shouting at me, mm-hmm. but but not when it just exists. I guess exactly. You know, it's 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 comfortable space. It's as you, as you, you've used wonderful words about beauty and comfort and home and so on. Uh, uh, brings life in another way was a right. great phrase you used. But this, there, there's something else going on here. That's for sure. Absolutely. And I think uh, that that's the thing that uh, a lot of people, you know, either lose or or are afraid of in design. Um, I think uh, if you add a bold element, it shouldn't be the first thing that you notice and the only thing you notice. It should work in conjunction with everything else that's going on in the room. So, uh, you know, a well curated space will have touches of things that are interesting and different and and quirky but they're not going to steal the show they're not going to be the only thing you you notice and they're not going to be a distraction from everything else that's going on at the end of the day the space is not there to exist for itself it's there to right. exist it's for not a sh- it's not a showroom exactly well i guess it could be it could be if you want so to. what's interesting too is you go in you do go into some houses and mm-hmm. you go wow this is kind of like a museum mm-hmm. nobody lives here mm-hmm. right it's, uh, they might as well just keep plastic on the yeah. furniture. In fact, some people probably and do. some people do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was very 70s, right? It was very 70s. <laughs> I remember. And it's managed to live on quite long. Yes, it yes. really. Yes. So I remember going into some bigger homes where they would have very museum-like. They would yeah. actually have a rope. You wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't, like, they didn't want you sitting in that showroom or whatever right. it was. Right. So why bother? I, I agree. Uh, I don't think you should ever have a have a home that's not meant to be lived in or a space that's not meant to be lived right. in. That's a very sort of old world traditional Victorian concept right. of right. you know the formal parlor, the formal living yeah. room, which you yeah. only use on special occasions. Um, and, and this is something that you're seeing. You know, if you look at sort of the modern home and yeah. what that yeah. floor plan looks like, the formal living room doesn't exist anymore. My uh, Elizabeth and I sometimes will joke. We have a big wall that we've we've done some work in the kitchen. Okay. So we have a wall now that's waiting for a painting or okay. a series of paintings or whatever. Elizabeth will choose a painting probably that suits more based on color. Right. And so on. Whereas I will pick a painting or a photo or whatever based on how it speaks to me. Okay. Or if it speaks to me. And they don't always align. In fact, they rarely align. Okay. It seems okay. To me. You know. So. I mean, maybe actually Ken Dinsky or somebody like that right. might because, you know, very colorful work and so on also speaks to you in an abstract way. What What are your thoughts about that? I mean, do you ever, is that a client-focused thing? So you go, okay, this guy's more color-focused or he's more thoughtful? It's, it's hard because uh, when I design a space, I see artwork. I see mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. up. Um, and, and anyone who knows me uh, knows that in my home, uh, the frames typically go up before the artwork gets in. Um, I think it very, very, it's very specific to the client. Um, I've, I've had clients who have very, very well curated art collections, uh, but their favorite piece isn't the piece that goes with the room. So, uh, I, I, I think a lot of people pick art as a a final step. Uh, and I think a lot of times you need to introduce the art 
much earlier into the design process so that you can work it into the room because the, especially if it's going to be a personal piece um in one room in my home i have um a pair of yellow jeans hanging that i designed um and that was actually a jumping off point for that entire mm. room mm. um it's it's a really bold piece and it's a piece that i love um but i designed the room around that mm. um and i think that's usually the best way to pick art now chances are when most people are putting a room together they haven't had the foresight to go that route because it's a very odd way to look at going to a room it's not intuitive to think pick your accessories and build the room around it um when you get to that situation i think with art the most important thing is that it does have meaning we've all been into places with meaningless art and you get no drive or inspiration from it the point of art is not to fill up a wall the point of it is to uh, elicit an emotion that's what i think i mean not obviously not everyone agrees for sure right now so that art, you know, you got your, you got your still life art, <laughs> and you got your insightful art. Not that still life can't be insightful, because I think it can. I I, I have to make sure I get this in. There, there, it doesn't mean though that it doesn't uh, also work with the room. Mm. And and I think that's why you know a lot of people think you know when they when they look at that blank wall and say, oh my god, I've got to fill this up. This is driving me crazy, and they right. end up right. rushing this process, right. which could often take twelve plus months. I think the biggest mistake, and I mean this is a much bigger thing in people's homes, is that they're in this perpetual rush to fill it up. Right. Uh, and you know that's why they we go to the big box stores and say, "I'll just take the full suite. I'll just take this. I'll take and get it done, so I don't have to think done. about it yeah. anymore." Yeah. Yeah. I think living with an empty space and slowly curating what you want, good quality, uh, will not only save you money but also end up with a much more interesting space in the long run. So with that wall. You know, there's no rush to put art up there. I think the danger for me, and this is also, I'm going to go philosophical in yeah. here a little bit, but the idea of living with an empty space, or sorry, not an empty space, but let's say you are 85% finished because mm -hmm. of my construction background. What I found over the years was is people just got so used to it. And I think there's a comment here about structure yeah. and about the way Absolutely. we live our lives, whether it's with language or the work we do or the way we behave or the books we read, we get used to the foundation. We get used to the structure. And it, and it just becomes a part of who we are. So I would see so many people who are now living in places mm -hmm. at the 85% mark. Right. The drywall wasn't finished right. in the basement. It didn't even get taped. Right. Or maybe it got taped, but it didn't get sanded. Right? For and sure. The baseboard's missing. Or the the the, 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 the vents, the, the grills for the vents didn't get put in. because. Right. But the places that f were finished first, where you actually went through with a deficiency list, those guys had a finished home right. when you went in a few years later. So I think I don't know. I think I think there's something kind of interesting there with that whole idea. But you're 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 as a designer, you've got the intention that people like myself don't have when it comes to this kind for of thing. For sure, for sure, is to, is to get it to that hundred. Right. Let's call it hundred ten percent. That's what I'm hiring you for. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, now that being said, I think uh, it's very easy to become complacent. You know, to say, you know, we're all we're there. It's good enough. Let's move on to the next thing. And I, I think that goes back to this, this uh, I think interior design has become an obligation to a lot of people. It's hmm. it's not an enjoyable process. Interesting. It's a, yeah, I yeah. have to get something it's on my, to sit It's on, on my to-do list. It's on my to-do list. You know, it's there with doing laundry, with you right. know, getting the groceries. It's it's not a fun process. And I think people need to reinterpret. Yeah, that must, I was going to say that must break your heart. But it must sadden you a little bit when you, you see the pleasure, you see the... The, the 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 not just the utility but the the um hmm, the purpose for sure behind it the life 
for sure know, behind design behind architecture behind space and that's what I find so fascinating about the work you do it's not just colors for sure or, or structure way more than that. And I, and I think I think almost anyone can recognize, you know, when they walk into a beautiful space, I, you know, I seldom see anyone who doesn't react or say, this feels nice or, or, or um, you know, doesn't have some sort of emotional reaction. And I think that should encourage people and inspire people uh, to take the same approach to their own homes. I, you know, I, we've all done it where you get into a space and you just, you know, I need a couch to sit on right now. I need... Mm-hmm. Um, a table to eat at right now. See what's on Kijiji. Exactly. See what's on Kijiji. And and you know what? I'm all for that. The thing about that mindset, a lot of people think by buying something cheap that it is in the long run saving money. Chances are if you're buying something cheap, you're sacrificing quality, you're sacrificing right. style, you're sacrificing something. Um, and you're still spending money at the end of the day. So if you spend $50 on a table versus $500 on a table, yes, I understand there's a significant price difference. However, if you take that $50 towards that $500 table, maybe wait a little bit longer, that table becomes more attainable and you end up with a better quality piece and something that you love a lot more, something that you're proud to sit at and something that you're proud to have people over at. Um, our homes are not just for you know the one person to dwell in. Tell me about the relationship. <clears throat> so uh, very much into the whole idea of relationship. You know, mm-hmm. we often hear it's all about relationships. Tell me about that relationship between you and the space that you find yourself in from day to day. Right. I mean, I mean that's a pretty abstract question, maybe in some regards. But but I want to read a quote here in a second from uh, Martin Heidegger, a okay. German philosopher, that that in an essay he called "Building Dwelling Thinking." And I'm just I guess I'm, we're coming to near to the end of the interview, but but I'm thinking in relation to to I've been doing yoga now for a couple okay. of years, restorative yoga, okay. not the hot yoga. So I'm okay. not really interested in tone and losing weight. I'm interested in coming down. Okay. I'm interested in that 90 minutes of space. Okay. That I have set out each week. Uh, with Shelly, who's amazing, mm-hmm. and the class for myself. And, Great. and for me, it's a relationship between, well, I don't even know what it is, Justin. Mm-hmm. It is a spatial thing, mm-hmm. right? It is a relational thing. There's a there's a feeling in the room. It's a square room. It's an ugly room. There's mirrors. There's a, you know, a, a cork floor, and I'm on a Absolutely. mat, et cetera. So it's kind of medicinal in, 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 in a certain way. But wow, has it become... Uh, a ritual, but it's become very important to me. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm just interested to know how how you relate to space and 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 uh, what it kind of means to you, I suppose. Um, I, I, I guess I, the the space to me that's probably most intimate to me is my home, and um, for me, uh, I'm constantly trying to create a habitat, something that is is effectively an escape, but also a jumping off point for everywhere else that I go. I don't spend a lot of time at home. Um, but when I do, I need it to be enjoyable. I need it to be, um, comforting. Uh, I think a very specific time of year where I tend to, where I actually spend the most time at home is, is winter because I'm constantly trying to escape the cold. I don't handle the cold very well. Uh, and so my home has been designed to offset that. So the walls are deep and dark. Um, you know, the lighting is very warm, um, and everything is, is sort of driven around offsetting that feeling that I, I don't really like. Um, and I think that's how we need to look at our homes, is, is create an atmosphere, create an ambiance for a, a space that makes you feel comfortable, that makes you feel safe, that makes you feel inspired. Um, I work a lot from home. 
Um, so when doing that, I need I need to be inspired by myself. So you, you find uh, being at home is a creative space for you. Absolutely. You don't, you don't have to go to a coffee shop or exactly. out to the park or, exactly. wander, or wander through the, the woods to get an idea. You can do that in many different spaces. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So Heidegger says, quote, the way in which you are and I am, the manner in which we humans are on the earth is dwelling. To be a human being means to be on the earth as a mortal. It means to mm-hmm. dwell. And I think he's talking about, you know, I, I, I mean, it's probably one of the more difficult philosophers to read, you know, For often sure. German and French philosophers were the existentialists <laughs> especially. But this idea of dwelling, this idea, I think, of what he's talking about ultimately is language mm-hmm. and the structure and so on. But there's something about this idea of home mm-hmm. that is so fundamentally important and compelling. And now that I have kids and, mm-hmm. you know, and so on. And I don't just mean a suburban place to go. Right. Because I think Heidegger would say that a truck driver, that a cabbie mm-hmm. can be at home behind the wheel of their car. Absolutely. Does that make sense to you? Uh, for sure. Um, the way I would look at it is, you know, uh, what is the first thing that most people do when they get into their cubicle? If we're going back to that model, you know, you personalize it with something. You put a picture in. Right. You put an object. You take something that makes it yours. And I think we do that with our cars. I think we do that with our homes. Um, and so the place that you spend the most time in you'll inevitably do something. You know, if you're if you're in a rental car, you'll play the music that you want to hear. It just makes it feel a little bit more at home. It makes it feel you. Um, I think by picking a color on your car um, is, is, is very well making a design statement that makes you more excited about the home. Um, so absolutely. Um, we, we're, we're, uh, we're forced to move all the time. We're forced to be in places uh, maybe that we wouldn't necessarily choose as our first choice as home, um, but we are constantly working on a way to make it. It's home. an extension of the whole cliche that you know that there's no place like home. I mean, I think there's a reason where that where that came from. I mean, I see. I I guess I believe, and we're probably going to have to wrap this up now. But I think I believe that we're all pretty uncomfortable, actually. Mm-hmm. Period. Period. Yeah. And then I would say we're uncomfortable in our own skin. Okay. Most of us, not all of us, but most of us. And so we're this truckload of insecurity and baggage from our youth and our upbringings mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. our religious background and our fellows, whatever it is. And so I think we're always in some way just trying to get back home. Yeah, I, I think that's a, I think it's a great way to look at it. And, and however you try and manifest or create home... Um, I mean that's your prerogative, and that's and that's what you're doing to deal with your personal set of um, emotions. I love the way you've talked about the life behind design and the beauty of it, and almost we didn't use the word wonder at all, but uh, it just takes something that so many of us probably, including myself, see as kind of banal and uninteresting, but we know it when we see it. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I don't think design. But when I see it, I go, wow, you can see the thought or the, the attention to detail, the, the beauty of it, right? It just, there's a, we're back to the Lego models. Absolutely. Right? There's a simplicity, like you said, there's a simplicity, there's a beauty there that's just, just marvelous. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. So Justin Rahim, uh, uh, talking to us today about um, all things beautiful. <laughs> uh, he's got a company called Black Label Urban Design. Check them out, B-L-K-L-A-B-E-L dot C-A. And um, 
we'll look forward to chatting again sometime soon. Look forward to it. Thanks so much.